All right. Hey, folks. So we are back for the podcast. Now, today's topic is going to be uh, VLCDs, so very low calorie diets or LCDs, depending on how low in calories you go. I typically refer to them as VLCDs, and uh, that is a rapid and extreme um, fat loss method. Now, trigger warning, if you are someone who struggles with dietary adherence and goes off and binges and stuff, this is potentially something you need to think long and hard about when implementing, and more than likely not. Um, but it may be worth listening to the discussion, and I want to just talk through for everyone else what um, what uses these types of diets have and how I've implemented them recently. So as we approach this summer, I have a number of clients who are going either into diet phases, fat loss phases, or who have arrived with me and joined up with me. And before we begin on a mass gain phase, are in a position where it might be worth them just cleaning up some body fat first to give them some runway to add body weight on later. So if somebody's at the top end of what they feel is comfortable to walk around, then clearly it's going to make um, gaining muscle and size a lot harder. We can go down the whole recomposition route, but that's problematic as well. So firstly, I want to just bring up an example of a guy who I've been coaching um, recently and who just executed a fat loss phase and it's gone really, really well. So this guy um, lost around about, where are we, from start to finish, it was about just looking at his file now, it was about four and a half kilos. So a few guys across the pond, that is about 10 pounds, almost exactly 10 pounds, over the course of about five weeks. Now, for a guy who's 200 pounds, that's maybe not so impressive, but this guy was already a relatively lean um, 74 kilos. So that is about 160 pounds went from about 162 pounds to about 152 pounds, looking very light, looking very lean. It made a massive impact on his physique. Essentially went from the point where he had a middle-aged spread to the point where you could see abs. So it was a very, very good cut. And the advantage of that is we now have plenty of room, plenty of runway to actually gain some weight back over the course of the next four or five months. We've actually bought four to five months of gaining. Now, if you consider a reasonable rate of weight gain, which I've set out with him for our next phase of training to be one kilo per month, then we've actually bought four to five kilos of gaining, which will land him back in the place where he was previously, but this time, hopefully, with a lot more muscle and a lot less body fat. It's a really good way to do things. Essentially taking four, four to six weeks to do a harsh cut. And, you know, he took breaks, he took meals off during the course of that cut as well. It likely would have been a little bit faster if he didn't, but then obviously you have to live life. He's a family man, he has a job, um, you know, all the things that regular people have. So it, it it's the same when I do these things, I don't do them every day. So when I came back from holiday um, on Sunday, I immediately went on to a, one of these types of VLCDs the only day off I've had is yesterday. So I was VLCDing for about four full days at about 1,100 to 1,300 calories, which for a guy 
my size and my output is pretty high. It's about half of my TDE, well, more than half my TDE. My, my, my maintenance is probably around about 3,000, so quite a lot less. So yeah, it's a pretty extreme diet. Um, but it was good to clean up some of the fluff that came from the whole thing. And I'm probably going to carry that on because I, I do want to cut into the summer. So anyway, going back to some of the uses. So that's one use. The first use is it buys you quite a lot of gaining room, which is a really good way to do things. I think if you've been eating relatively freely for a while, you can drop quite a lot of weight pretty quickly. Just have your eyes on the prize. First block, five, six weeks, just cutting a lot of body fat. And then it can, if you do it right, if you go at it quite aggressively, it can literally free up four to five months of actual gaining time where you still feel comfortable. Because had we put this guy on a bulk straight away, I don't feel he would have felt comfortable or really committed to the bulk. Whereas now, relatively speaking, he's a lot leaner. So it's fine. He has room to grow. So that's one use case. Now, the other use case I kind of alluded to was in my situation. My situation is a little bit different in that I'm starting off a cut with a more extreme cut. So I did this, I actually did an extreme cut last year for my for my big cut last year, but which lasted for about six weeks, and I dropped a lot of weight, about 10 kilos in that time period. It's a really good cut. It was it was great. And I did that in a very extreme way. And I just kind of put up with the training being slightly subpar during the time. Because you kind of have to. Um, there is a risk though, in that if your training becomes it becomes so subpar that you start to lose performance, you might start to lose muscle mass, but I'll cover that later. So training was subpar in the sense that I didn't feel the same zeal and drive going into the gym. I just felt exhausted. I'm sure people who saw me at the gym last year in the middle of that diet or towards the end of that diet probably thought I was just you know, running on empty. But um, it worked. It was very good. And it essentially bought me six months of bulking time. So it's a very useful thing to do. Obviously, we'd love to be in a bulk all the time. That's the goal. It's the dream, the bulk life. <laughs> but uh, can't do that. So strategically putting in these cuts act as a way of potentiating more mass. Now, in terms of why we do this specific cut, essentially, there's no more reason than just to get it over and done with quickly. Because a lot of people might argue, well, why don't you do a more traditional cut, you know, more along the lines of, I don't know, um, 11 to 12 weeks. And that's a fine idea. Personally, I think it's fine. It's just that when you're trying to get back to massing, it might behoove you to just try and get things over and done with as soon as possible. That's the only reason, really. So there are, you know, some advantages, and that is it gets over and done with a lot quicker. The issue is, though, the issue is very much that if you do that, then you have to put up with quite a lot of pain in that time period. But hopefully you can sort of half or even maybe a third break down um, how fast you would do a regular diet, probably more like a half, probably twice as fast. It just depends on whether you can put up with put up with the pain. And not everyone experiences it in the same way. When a guy who's been bulking steadily for a year or a guy who's not been paying any attention to his diet for a while, well, six weeks or five or six weeks of this type of diet is could probably be quite manageable. For a guy who's already very, very focused on his diet and has been, then it, it becomes a lot more problematic, I think. But um, it tends to work the best for the guys who have been quite unfocused on diet for a while. You put them on something like this, and it, yeah, it, it just works really, really well. Anyway, 
So I've covered what VLCDs and LCDs are. I've covered two use cases. So that is to potentiate more mass and also to begin a long cut. Let me tell you about some places where they're not very useful and then we'll just talk about how they're structured. So where they're not very useful is probably when you're leaner. I'd say this is probably the worst time to use a VLCD, although it does have its uses. If you're very, very lean, like let's say you're stage lean, uh, it's probably not a good idea to do a VLCD every day. Like I'm, I'm a big fan of doing them once or twice or three or four times a week, especially further on into a contest diet. Huge fan of that. Um, and it works very well. But for the purpose of for the purpose of general populations, I don't feel it's a massive idea to do when you're at your leanest, just simply because that's when you're really in danger of losing muscle mass. So that's that's where the problem is. Also, by the end of a diet, dietary adherence is probably at its worst. So adding in a bunch of, of, of adding in a very, very high deficit, then that causes problems. So I'm not as much of a fan of adding these in at the end of a diet. Typically speaking, at the beginning of a diet, you're far more you're far more likely to be in a position where you have a lot of fat to lose and the body is far more likely to give up that fat. Essentially, you are more insulin resistant and because of that, you actually can lose fat more. It's an interesting thing, an interesting rabbit hole to get down to actually. I think people don't, people don't really understand this about insulin resistance and I'll just touch on it briefly because we'll go back to the topic, main topic. Um, insulin resistance should actually make it easier for you to lose fat it makes it easy for you to store fat, which is true, but it also should make it easy for you to lose fat as well. Um, because when you're insulin resistant, everything becomes resistant to the effects of insulin. That includes your fat stores, it includes your muscle stores and everything else. So fat is far more likely just to swim around the bloodstream, which is why it's unhealthy, because that's what causes problems. You don't want that. You don't want high triglycerides, you don't want high blood sugar, because that is what causes major problems. You want low blood sugar and low triglycerides. And typically speaking, low blood sugar does come along with low triglycerides, unless you're doing some funky stuff like the keto diet in which you could, your blood sugars can run low, but your cholesterol can run high. So if you're eating just a regular balanced diet and you're testing your BG, odds are, and it's high, odds are your triglycerides are high as well. So leads us back to the point. Um, being insulin resistant, should make it actually easier to lose fat because more of those fatty acids are liberated into the bloodstream and prevented from being pushed in, back inside the muscle. So it's actually easier to liberate the fat. Just getting a very fat insulin resistant person to move is going to start burning away quite a lot of that fat and it happens very quickly. The leaner you get, the more insulin resistant you become and that is typically when we see these problems occur when you start to, it's harder and harder to drop body fat which is one of the reasons why <laughs> may as well add this in uh, pro bodybuilders use growth hormone at that stage because not to turn this into a drug talk but when you're very very lean and you're very insulin sensitive adding in growth hormone basically desensitizes the body systematically now that makes it again easier to drop body fat just like it was when you were fat however if you're a bodybuilder and you're using growth hormone, it probably means you're quite serious about your training. So you are highly sensitizing the muscles every single day. So your muscles remain sensitive, making it harder to lose fullness in the muscles. And your body fat starts to carry, carries on going down because you're burning off fat and you're able to liberate those fatty tissues. So it's literally the perfect thing for bodybuilders 
who are trying to get in the final stages of prep. Um, you can see why it works. Well, a lot of a lot of anecdotally, a lot of bodybuilders will say that when they add in growth hormone, they remain fuller, and that is why, because their muscles become insensitive, and their fat stores. Sorry, their muscles become stay stay sensitive due to the training, and the fat stores become insensitive. Um, it's an interesting situation. It's probably likely one of the reasons why bodybuilding is unhealthy as well, because with the drug load, and it's not just growth hormone that does this; it's also testosterone they make the body less sensitive which can be good for liberating body fat you know but also it's not healthy so the whole growth hormone insulin side of bodybuilding is probably more dangerous on balance than the anabolic side but anyway i only talk about that because i i do have clients who are enhanced so it's just part and parcel of of the coaching thing but anyway going back to the topic so the topic now is We've talked about implementations of VLCDs. We've talked about when it's not so good to implement them. And now I just want to talk about how you set that up. So um, over the course of the last 60 years, medicine, the medical field as a whole, has sought to found, find approaches and drugs to help people lose body weight. We know and we have known for years and decades, even if we don't admit it publicly, we know that being overweight is numero uno enemy number one for health like we know it is there's nothing that's going to kill you in the modern day that isn't connected with body fat somehow and it's just a fact okay whether directly or indirectly so scientists and researchers have been hot on this topic and have really been trying to figure out well what the hell can we do about this problem drugs is of course you know a big thing um, and there's been lots of drug trials. However, most of the drugs that were that came about for body fat loss have been pushed to one side. While they've worked, they've caused what are deemed to be unacceptable side effects. Now, we could get into that whole story as well because there are some very good drugs on the market which work, in, well, not on the market, <laughs> on the black market, which work incredibly well and the research that has been used to support their banning is not that conclusive. If you want to see the best example of this, um, go and look at the research for Cybutramine and why that was banned. It is a ridiculous set of studies that were used to ban that. And it's actually a very, chemically speaking, it's a very potent um, uh, fat loss drug. Um, it's basically, it's, um, it's an appetite suppressant, but also it has effects on visceral fat storage. Now, the problem is with all these trials, they get done on fat people, on very fat people usually. And the problem with very fat people is they tend to have very unstable cardiovascular systems. And as a result, in longitudinal studies, like a year, two years, quite a lot of them die off. So it's quite easy to pin things on the drugs, basically. But yeah, there's some pretty good ones on the market, um, on the black market, or were on the market, where we banned. Some which aren't so good, but there's quite a lot there which are actually quite strong and work pretty well. Um, but I'm, I don't want this to turn into a drug talk, so I won't go into that. But back to the original point was that scientists and researchers have been looking for ways to cure obesity for a long time. And one of the things that has been experimented on over the decades tremendously has been VLCDs or LCDs. If you guys wanted to go check the research out, just look for very low calorie diets under PubMed. And the data entries go back to 1960. You know, we've been studying that for that long. It's, it's, it's a long-standing thing. Now, if the LCDs were inherently unhealthy, 
we wouldn't have gotten away with studying for so long. We just wouldn't have. You know, government would have intervene, intervened. It wouldn't be considered safe. So they are, without a doubt, considered safe. I think the, the your average, like, um, your average Redditor, <laughs> Redditor dieter, who's on these really crappy but popular Reddit um, diet uh, subreddits, fully believes that a crash diet will just basically just kill you and give you AIDS and whatever else. But it's not true. Like, it has, they have a rich history for the last 60 years they work now the way that people fuck these up is they'll do them in really really stupid ways so they won't idea whatsoever about about filling in nutrient deficiencies about trying to preserve muscle mass so the diets which are done medicinally speaking tend to be supervised by doctors or even if they are rubbish diets then the doctor can intervene and go hey you should probably stop doing that and they drop out of the study but you can set up a vlcd in a better way and it was something which was very popular during lockdown because obviously a lot of people weren't working out much so well if you're not working out much and you've spent a few months of lockdown being depressed and eating then why not just drop some body fat and drop it quick so it was quite popular now i want to just talk about how to set it up so the idea is you want to try and get your calories as low as possible. That's the general idea. Okay. Now, in the studies, they use calorie, calorie levels as low as 600 to 800. That's very freaking low, right? I think you'll all agree. They've also used calorie levels as low as 1,200. Now, from what I've seen in the research, they don't tend to differentiate very much between the two levels. I personally, though, when I'm talking about this to you guys on podcasts and whatnot, I tend to refer to VLCDs in the 6 to 800 calorie range and LCDs in the 1200 calorie range. That's my general cutoff. So if you want to just go check out some research, go ahead and do a Google search and PubMed. But anyway, the idea is you want to keep the calories as low as possible. I think for, for my guys, a reasonable cutoff is about 1200 calories. That's fine. Now, smaller females might go lower than that, but really it's a case of eating to appetite within this approach. Yes, you heard that right. I generally have people eating to appetite even within this approach. And that's important because you want you don't want there to be as much of a snapback when it comes to eating again. Like uh, yesterday, as I say, I finished the, well, I didn't finish the VLCD. I took a break from the VLCD yesterday and I ate normally, which for me is about 3,000 calories. There was no binge. There was no snapback. There was no excessive hunger because when you're dieting in a way which is conducive to your um to your hunger and your satiety and your nutrient deficiencies, there's not as much of a snapback in my experience, unless it's psychological, like I deserve to eat this kind of thing. So um, firstly, with regards to nutrient deficiencies, we want to try and keep veggies as high as possible, okay? So in my model, I encourage people to eat anywhere between two to 400 grams of vegetables in three to four servings of food per day. Now, the, variety, the, the variance there is to account for different body sizes. So, <clears throat> so that's, that's the beginning, and that's the first thing you'll start with. Two to 400 grams of veggies, three to four days, three to four times a day. Now, those specific vegetables that you eat, they should be the leanest vegetables too. So I generally encourage people to go with your broccoli, your cauliflower, your green beans, your Brussels sprouts, your bok choy, your mushrooms, your peppers, that type of thing, rather than your peas and your carrots and your sweet corn. 
yes, if you're good, my, my point is this, if you're going to go that extreme, why not just go all the way? Okay. People will inevitably ask, well, well hey, Faz, what about carrots or how about some fruit? It's like, why, bro? You're doing it for four to six weeks. Maybe you're doing it three to four times a week. Just go extreme in the time you're doing it. Just get it over and done with. You'll get exponentially better results if you do. That's my point. If you're going to do it, just you know, learn something, do it properly, do it fully, and then carry on with your life, and we'll get back to regular eating. That's my point in that. So I encourage people to go with the leanest vegetables, and quite a lot of them. Two to four hundred grams of veggies, three to four days, three to four times a day should be very filling. Now I'm not going to say it's going to be as exciting as eating your breads and your pastas and your rice and all that stuff, but it will be filling. Very few people can eat that and still be hungry, unless it's again, unless it's a psychological thing and their their bellies are sticking past their chest, but they just psychologically want more food. That doesn't count for hunger. Okay, that's just you being psychologically addicted to feeling full. That's a different thing that no amount of food can fix. Now, the next thing that I prioritize is protein. So, protein is very useful. It's there for as another satiety trick, so along with the veggies, increases your satiety, prevention of being hungry, but also it's there for muscle prevention. It's one of the only parts of the diet which is essential. So we have protein as well as vegetables for nutrients. And if we are going to eat a lot of protein, we want to try and make it from the leanest sources possible. So there's no point doing a diet like this and then gorging on lamb chops because they're that fatty. We don't need that extra fat right now. And I'll discuss fat in a moment. So you're trying to go for the leanest sources. Usually things things like chicken, turkey, lean fish, whey. That's pretty much it. Again, the inevitable question is, Faz, what about 5% beef? Look, just piss off with your 5% beef, all right? It's for four to six weeks. Just do it right. Or accept less than stellar results. You know, but I just think again, if you're doing it, go all the way. I don't see a problem with on a random Tuesday afternoon. Why I don't care if I'm eating chicken or turkey or fish rather than five percent beef. I literally couldn't give a damn because I've got a job to do. But that's my perspective anyway. So that's the next thing. Now, the final thing comes to fat. So with regards to fat intake, there is of course a necessary amount of fat that the body is required to have every day for health reasons. So for that, I recommend essential fish oils. So omega-3 fish capsules tends to work very well. So that's kind of what I go for and what I encourage people to take. About a couple of grams you know, per, um, per meal works pretty well. So you end up with six to eight grams a day. So that works pretty well. You get them in massive bulk you know, um, bottles these days. So that works pretty well. Only other supplement I'd recommend is vitamin D. I did used to recommend calcium, but um, I think with regards to calcium, it's not always the best thing to take for in terms of what I've seen in studies. So I would rather encourage people to actually have whey protein, and you'll get some calcium from the whey protein. And apart from that, apart from the, the overall nutrient load being low and lower, it should be pretty nutrient balanced. And again, you're doing it for a small amount of time. Last thing is actually salting your food. This is highly important. Because you're, what you're essentially doing is a ketogenic diet, if you don't salt your food, you will feel awful literally by the end of the first day. Okay, so don't make that mistake. Salt the hell out of your food. As long as your doctor says it's okay, you know, but in general, you'll lose a lot of sodium. 
you'll lose a lot of water almost immediately. So yeah, that's the sort of strategy. Now, in terms of one final thing is in terms of how to implement it, I'm not as militant about it as I kind of used to be. I, I don't, I'm not that concerned if people don't do it every day. Like if this is something you break into maybe a couple of times a week, that's also fine because you can still create a big deficit doing that. I mean, I personally do calorie cycling. So I will, for a fat loss diet, I will, I will have something like a couple of 1200 calories days per, per week. So that will really bring down the calories. Then I might have some regular days which are roughly around maintenance. And then I might have a high calorie day, which brings up my glycogen stores again. So my rough setup right now is roughly a couple of 1200 calorie days, four days at roughly the 3000 calorie mark, and then one day at 4000 calories. That is working very, very well for a combination of workout energy, performance, and also fat loss. That for me, the average is out for me to be about, I think it's 2700 calories on average, or maybe less. Yeah, less than that, about 2,500 calories or 26, which is plenty for me to drop body fat on. And it feels good. I don't feel like I'm starving. I don't feel um, in any way a problem. So that's that's one way to put it in. Put them put in a couple of times a week. Just begin there. You don't have to go militantly all days. Um, but if you do, it does tend to work quite well. The other thing is if you are in the diet and you're feeling overwhelmed, just relax. It's just, it's just a diet, okay? You, you can go back to your regular way of eating within the next meal it doesn't mean you have to gorge yourself and i think i don't know maybe it's maybe people just put too much pressure on themselves but you've just got to be a bit more relaxed about things if you're on a diet and it's not feeling great just relax just eat a regular meal it doesn't mean you have to go down to domino's and order a 16 inch like just chill have the next meal chicken and rice vegetables whatever you normally have rather than going back to the broccoli and chicken Take it meal by meal. And then when you feel good again, just go back, do it again until the allotted time is up. If you've decided I'm going to do this for two weeks or four weeks or six weeks, just keep doing that. Just bat it back and forth. Eat the really low calorie meals when you can stand them. Don't eat it when you can't. And you'll still get to your goal faster than if you just threw your hands up in the air and go, ah, give up. I'm just ordering me a pizza. It's like, why? Grow the fuck up. Uh, so, that's kind of my very honest thoughts and stuff like that. I just think people tend to get a bit carried away with themselves um, on stuff like this. and They just get overwhelmed. And when you get overwhelmed, just relax. You don't have to resort to your inner child at that stage. Um, but anyway, I, I'm going to call it there. Hopefully that was useful. To give you an insight into some applications of a low-calorie diet. Also, how to structure a low-calorie diet. Things to be aware of supplements to take, stuff like that. It's a pretty complete guide to LCDs. That might be the title of this podcast, a complete guide to very low-calorie diets. All right, folks, as usual, if you want some help with implementing any of this, then I do offer coaching. Also, I've not mentioned, I have my Patreon now. So my Patreon is a way for you to either support my work or actually get some things back. So depending on which tier you choose, you can get a live Q&A every single week. So basically a chat with me every week, which is pretty cool, as well as mini coaching, which I offer, which is like cheaper than your standard coaching. And then there's also the basic tier option, which is just to support me if you like my work. Just like, hey, Faz, 
this is for you. It's a few pounds every month, and it's just a thank you for content. And it, it basically helps to support me across all the social media networks. So it's kind of cool. It allows you guys to give me something back. Um, also, you do get something for that tier as well, because I put out new content every um, every week for that tier as well. So every tier gets something, which is kind of cool. Right, folks, I'm going to call it there, and I will speak to you in the next one.